This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome. Disability Law Show. Love being here. Love having you with us. Thank you already. I see the emails coming in. You're contributing right off the hop. That's excellent. And we'll get to those in just a bit. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number, anytime, toll free, of course, every time, one 855 5900 with me of course john Scholes here and savannah tamarkin and darren saul always uh, always ready to answer your questions here on the show and beyond with that reach out to information that i just gave you you can also go to mydisabilityquestions.com ask questions there whenever you want freely and anonymously guys main topic on today's show in just a little bit what you need to know about mental illnesses and ltd this is a topic that is getting more popular and there's definitely more of a spotlight put on it as there should be because uh, insurance companies are, are playing catch up on this one but we're going to enlighten you throughout the show today so we'll get to that in just a bit but savannah we always start off out with the week that was what do you got cooking yeah, John, I, I, something happened this week, which uh, rarely does happen, uh, but when it does, it, it does make me uh, very upset uh, in the context of long-term disability, and that is uh, getting a call from someone who is so frustrated with the lawyer or the firm uh, that uh, she has hired uh, to deal with her long-term disability denial, uh, and then explaining to me sort of what went wrong. And, and l- let me let me start off by saying that... Uh, you know, I rarely tell people to leave their lawyers. And when I tell people that they should be leaving their lawyers, I don't necessarily tell them to come to us. I just tell them you have to leave that lawyer. Something is very, very wrong. There are major red flags. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I, I hate doing that. I, I wouldn't want somebody to tell my clients to leave me. Hopefully I'm giving the best service that I can. And Darren does too and other lawyers in our firm. Uh, but let me tell you about what happened with this individual, this lady who called me. She uh, she was denied long-term disability for psychological issues that she's experiencing, depression, anxiety, uh, and, and a phobia. Uh, she was denied two years ago, almost two years ago, sorry, almost two years ago. And this is important that it's almost. Uh, because as soon as she got denied, she did what she should have done, which many people should be doing, which is seek legal help. Seek it from someone who has expertise with long-term disability. It doesn't have to be us, but it needs to be somebody that has expertise in the area. You know, gone are the days when you have lawyers who have multi-specialties, right? They do family law and criminal law and real estate law and immigration law. No, if you have a lawyer that does all these things, it, 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 this is a big red flag. It's like going to a doctor that's a brain doctor, a heart doctor, and an ear, throat, and nose specialist. No. Nowadays, these are all sectioned off. You have specialists in every area. Same thing with law. You want somebody who's good in criminal law, you go to a criminal lawyer, someone who specializes in that area. Same thing with long-term disability law. So this person, the first mistake was she went to a lawyer who said that they can do all these other things as well. But that recommendation came from her friend of hers. And so she decided to trust that recommendation. She goes to that lawyer. And that lawyer, first red flag here, that lawyer tells her, I can help you with your long-term disability claim. First thing we need to do is we need to appeal that decision. Okay, huge red flag. When you are denied long-term disability, you do not appeal that decision, at least not before speaking with us. And the reason for that is because these appeals are internal processes with the insurance company. You have zero leverage. You have zero power over the insurance company's decision-making process. And John, you know, we had talked about this before. I always give the example of my 10-year-old son coming to me and saying, can I have a candy? And I say, no, 
And then he comes back 10 minutes later and says, well, can, can you rethink that answer? Can, you, can I please have a candy? And I say, no. <laughs> and no is a no is a no. You can come to me 50 more times. It's going to be a no. Maybe when it's your birthday. But right now, it's a no. Same thing with the insurance company. They have no incentive. There is no reason for them to approve your claim once they've denied it. Now, do they never uh, consent to these appeals? Do they never say no? No. But I tell people that if you want to take that chance, well, it's like playing the lottery in my view, right? Very, very few cases have I heard about people getting approved on an appeal. So, so that's the first red flag. This lawyer told this lady, as a first method of getting the insurance company to pay, not as a last resort, but as a first resort to appeal that decision, which is a big red flag. And that's number one. Number two, which is just as bad, is the lawyer told her, it's going to cost you. I'm going to charge you an hourly rate. My hourly rate is $235 an hour. And this lady, unfortunately, has already paid over $10,000 to this lawyer for nothing. Nothing has happened. He's, he's done two appeals for her, both of which were denied. Again, confirming my point that these appeals are generally useless. But at the same time, he's done something that's unthinkable for lawyers who are in my profession, who that's all they do, long-term disability. We never, ever charge anything up front, nothing. We put our money where our mouth is. We tell you, look, we get paid only if we're able to force the insurance company to pay you what you're owed. We essentially get a percentage of what it is that we can force them to pay you. So if they pay you $0, we get $0, right? So our interests are aligned. It's like a real estate agent that's selling your house. If they don't sell your house, they're not getting paid, period. Yeah. For that lawyer to have charged this lady who is out of work, who is disabled, who has kids at home, charge her over $10,000 for nothing, in fact, for doing exactly what he ought not to do, it just, it just boggles the mind. Very, very upsetting to me. And to add insult to injury, and you know, John and Darren, you know that too. This is a pet peeve of mine. That lawyer was extremely unresponsive over the last couple of years or so. In other words, she had to chase him. She had to leave voicemails upon voicemails, emails yeah, upon emails. It, nothing. To me, that lawyer should be disbarred. Uh, any lawyer that doesn't respond to their clients should not be practicing. This is not, you know, you're not doing your clients a favor, right? This is a privilege that we have to serve our clients. So big, big red flag. Now, the reason I said, thank God, it's only been uh, less than two years is because there's a two-year limitation period for starting legal claims, generally speaking, uh, against insurance companies for, for denial of long-term disability benefits. And we generally start the clock at the date of the first denial, not when they were last denied their appeal. Again, there are some exceptions. I'm not going to get into those. They're very technical. You do not want to be arguing an exception here, okay? You're giving the insurance company a very big hand here if you do that, okay? They have leverage if they can argue that you're out of time. So we're going to help this lady. It's not going to cost her a cent with us. I may even go after that other lawyer, even though I hate doing that because I think that was negligence what he did. But word to the wise here, and this is a lesson for everyone that's listening. When you are experiencing an issue with your long-term disability insurer, uh, you have any questions whatsoever about your long-term disability claim, or maybe it's not you, it's a friend, it's a family member, it's a colleague, you need to get the answers and the accurate answers and the correct answers right now. You need to empower yourself because the insurance company is formidable, but they're only formidable. There is only an imbalance of power if you don't have the knowledge that you need to have to understand what your rights are. As soon as we inform you of your rights, as soon as we explain to you what you can and cannot do or what the insurance company can and cannot do, guess what? You feel confident. You know what your options are. 
you don't want to act on them, that's fine. You do want to act on them, no problem. We can help you. We or someone else in this profession that does exclusively long-term disability law. Now, in our firm, we do long-term disability law and employment law. Those are the two areas. We don't do real estate. We don't do family law. We don't do immigration law. We don't do any other kind of law. We do long-term disability law and employment law. So if you have any issues about those two things, please come to us. And Darren, Darren, in fact, has a lot of cases on the employment side of things, and also he practices long-term disability. So we can answer any of your questions. And I know, John, we're going to have emails here from people who are emailing us already, uh, and we're going to answer those. But again, please, please, please pay attention. If you're going to a lawyer or a law firm for help with long-term disability, go to people who specialize in that area or who are not going to charge you anything for the information they're going to give you. Guys, again, toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. It should be right in your comfort zone just to pick up that phone and call Savannah, call Darren and their team. Always ready just for a, for a chat for sure. Email, as uh, Savannah just mentioned, we'll get to in just a bit. Help at disabilityrights.ca. But uh, moving down to our main topic for the day, guys, let's get this happening. It's an important one. Again, what you need to know about mental illnesses and LTD. This is something we could be talking about for, uh, for, for several shows, especially now where it gains more momentum and people are dealing more with it and insurance companies are starting to wake up to the idea that these things are truly that mental illnesses. Uh, first one uh, here, Savannah, mental illnesses can be considered disabilities if they prevent an individual from being able to perform the basic tasks of their job. Sounds like a physical disability to me, huh? It does, but oh. I'll tell you, insurance companies have learned over the years that they can't simply ignore mental illnesses, uh, conditions uh, that they cannot see, right? You, you can't photograph, you can't do an x-ray or an MRI uh, of depression, of anxiety, of a phobia. There may be some changes in the brain. Maybe we have new imaging and new sophisticated imagery that can show changes in the brain, but you don't have to show this to an insurance company in order to prove that you are disabled from working. Now, insurance companies in the past have, have treated mental illnesses and, and mental or psychological kinds of impairments and, and uh, hindrances as something that is secondary to the physical uh, disabilities or injuries or illnesses. And, and that's just not the case anymore. They can't ignore those things. And by the way, it's not just me saying that. We've had cases that have gone all the way to court. I mean, that's very rare, by the way. Unlike what you see on TV, these cases almost never go to court. Insurance companies settle these kinds of cases. They do not like to take their chances at court. They usually get hammered. Uh, so mental illnesses, psychological issues, anxiety, depression, phobias, PTSD, all those things, if they prevent you from being able to perform the essential tasks of your occupation, you should be entitled at that point to receive long-term disability benefits from your disability insurance company, period, period. And if the insurance company says there's not enough documentation, not enough medical support, not enough this or that, Give us a call, email us, talk to one of us. It, again, doesn't cost anything to get this information. We will help you. We have a lot of experience in these kinds of things. You know, Our lawyers, our legal teams are really well-versed in these kinds of psychological conditions, mental illnesses. In fact, the majority of our cases have to do with those kinds of issues. And so we know how to present them to insurance companies. And really, when insurance companies ignore these kinds of issues, we know what pressure points to press to force insurance companies to the table to pay you what you're owed. Because if you cannot work, that is serious. And it's not something that's going to go away tomorrow. You need time and space to get better. That's a job for your doctors, for your psychologists, for whoever's treating you. Let us deal with the insurance companies on your behalf. 
And with that, we'll take a short break, get to two more of those under that topic of what you need to know about mental illness and LTD. And in the meantime, toll free, write this number down, keep it 10. You can talk to the guys and their team anytime, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca or simply the firm website, disabilityrights.ca as well. And we'll continue with the Disability Law Show. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. If you're uh, just joining us, uh, grab a seat, tuck in, and we got lots more to get through here. Maybe send an email along as well. If you uh, went through the break, thank you for sticking around. We might have an email of yours coming up here shortly. But beyond the hour of the show, anytime you can reach out to Darren or Savannah, you can do it by a toll-free number, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And uh, anything else you want to do, ask any questions, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. Loving this website. It's free. It's anonymous. It's also searchable. That's the way the algorithm works. The database is searchable, so a question similar to yours, if not exactly like it, right, may have been asked previously, and you can uh, read the answer. If not, leave your question there, and it will get answered by uh, one of the guys or a member of their team. Okay, we were talking about guys before the break, what you need to know about mental illnesses and LTD, huge topic of late. Uh, second one, let me throw this one at you, Darren. Individuals struggling with a mental illness should seek treatment and follow recommendations from their doctors. Let's underline that part, from their doctors, right? Oh, definitely. And and that's a great point. I think anyone who is struggling with with mental illness in the workplace, and if it is impacting their ability to work, you you need to go seek treatment. You need to go talk to your doctors, talk to a treatment professional. You can talk to a counselor, uh, a psychiatrist, your your GP or your family doctor. And I know it's difficult for some people to to get those nowadays, even a walk-in clinic. Pick a, you know, I have I have many clients who, especially in BC and Alberta and, and I think across Canada right now, with the, the state of the healthcare, people are saying, Well, I don't have a GP, I don't have a, a regular doctor I go to and follow. Um and, and that's a huge, huge barrier for a lot of people. And and so I say, you know, go to a walk-in clinic, pick a walk-in clinic, pick a walk-in doctor. You know, stay consistent with them to try to get some treatment. It's very important to document this because, as, as Savannah was talking about before, this is one of those you know quote unquote invisible illnesses. When you look at someone and they have uh, any kind of any mental illness, any kind of um, issues with anxiety, stress, depression that are preventing them from being able to work, and and you know sometimes those can be more debilitating than physical. Um, then physical issues, physical injuries that prevent you from working. These are far-reaching. These impact every you know aspect of someone's life. Um, so go get treatment. Talk to your doctors. Get that evidence down. Get them to to make notes of that. Send you for treatment. Um, you know you can always discuss things like behavioral treatment or medication. But it's, it's good to get a a early and frequent record of this so we have the evidence when you know if your LTD uh, provider, your insurer does deny your claim saying, well, you don't look disabled. You can probably go back to work. We can find something lower stress. Sometimes it's not that simple. You want to have that documentation there. You want to have that evidence from the doctor saying, no, because of this, you're you know unable to work, um, unable to do, you know, basic tasks in life, unable to do, you know, wh- whatever, whatever is affecting you and, and how it affects you. You want to get a, a record of that and, and get that frequently. Number three, guys, is this. Insurance companies may incorrectly deny an LTD claim for mental illness due to, quote-unquote, insufficient medical evidence. Oh, that old game again, huh? Yes, and we see this quite often. And by the way, John, when you say they may incorrectly deny, 
you know, when I hear that, I think, okay, they may make a mistake. And it's true. Sometimes they make a mistake. Whereas sometimes I actually think they're not making a mistake. They know exactly what they're doing. They also mm -hmm. understand that people who suffer from mental illnesses, psychological conditions like anxiety, depression, PTSD, etc., they're in no condition to take on the insurance company. They're simply too tired. They're exhausted. Right. I mean, they are disabled in, in the truest form of, of the word and concept. Many people in that condition can't even get out of bed. They're so tired uh, all the time. And so when the insurance company writes back and says, we're denying your claim or we're cutting you off because there's insufficient medical evidence to show that you are totally disabled. That's the word, right? That's the phrase, totally disabled. Yeah. People just give up. They give up, they throw that piece of paper angrily into the trash bin or they delete the email if it's an email. Uh, you have a concerned family member that says, well, you know, call Sivan, call Darren, call, uh, you know, Martin, James, people at our firm, you know, very experienced lawyers. And these individuals say, I don't have the strength. I, I just, I can't. That's what the insurance company wants you to do. Here's the reality. Let me break this down for you really, really simply because this is important. Insurance companies don't want you to know this. If you have someone that is backing you up, I'm talking about a psychologist, a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, someone that is treating you and has been treating you, a family doctor, if those individuals confirm in writing that you are functionally unable to perform the essential tasks of your occupation because of your symptoms, whatever those symptoms are, psychological, physical, or a combination of both, the insurance company has no grounds to deny your claim. They just don't, particularly not on the basis of insufficient medical evidence. Because you do have medical evidence or, or evidence from your treating providers. And that's what those are the people that I just mentioned. So, you know, it is a catch-all phrase when I see this in a denial letter, insufficient medical evidence or insufficient medical support or something like that. When people know that they have people behind them, treating practitioners behind them, like doctors, psychologists, etc., who agree that they cannot work, insurance companies simply deny on the basis of nothing, on the basis of something abstract. We need more. We need, and you know what, John? They often send you that denial letter, and at the end of that denial letter, there is a paragraph or two that talks about appeals, and it says that if you have new information or new documentation, please submit that to us. And people are saying, well, I've already given you stuff. I've given yeah. you what my doctors are saying. What else can I give you? I've had people say to me, do I need to go hire an expert uh, to back up what my doctors are saying? Do I have to go to a different doctor? And when I review the documentation that their own doctors have given, I'm like, no, you've given the insurance company everything they need. This is nonsense. Let me fight the insurance company on your behalf. You don't need to do that. Let me communicate with them on your behalf. By the way, this is something we need to make clear. We've talked about this before, John, many times. When we get involved, when someone hires us to deal with their insurance company, the insurance company at that point no longer is allowed to contact the person directly. They I must come to us. We are the ones taking over all communications. And I'll tell you this, you know, if you think that you hit a brick wall with the insurance company, you have no idea what these adjusters are going to hit when they start communicating with us. We've had insurance adjusters trying to, to strong arm us. You know, typically, well, I, I'm not going to get graphic here, but I can tell you we push back extremely hard. We've even had situations where uh, during questionings and discoveries, you know, those are the times where we get to question, we as lawyers, the adjusters. We've had instances where these adjusters have broken down and cried during some of these uh, uh, times. 
So, so you know, we know what we're doing. Uh, we have many. Some of our lawyers have actually worked on the insurance side in the past. We've we've worked for insurance companies, so we know the other side as well. They can't get away uh, with what they're trying to get away with with us. So, so let us help you. That's all I'll say here, guys. We got time to move into an email. Uh... During this segment, so let's do that. It's uh, it's Dave, by the way. Uh, anytime you want to sound on long, might appear on a show. Help at disabilityrights.ca. So thank you in advance, Dave, for this. It says, guys, I'm currently on long-term disability. I'm also on CPP disability, deducted from my LTD plan. My condition is considered grave. However, while it is not curable, it is in remission. It's not cancer. Uh, I'm 61 years old, and in three months, I will get a test to see if my condition has stabilized. I would like to return to work if the test results show things have stabilized. My employer is quite accommodating to my needs. My question is, what happens if I return to work for a period of time and I'm unable to continue? Do I have to reapply for disability? So I'll, I'll jump in on this one here. So Dave's got a great question, and it's one I've actually dealt with fairly recently with with uh, with a client of, of my own. And and you know, like we've said, I think in, in almost every show, something comes up where we just say you go back to the policy. Um, this is an insurance contract. It's a contract between you, the the individual, and the insurer. We always have to go back to the terms. Typically, there'll be a term in the insurance contract which which talks about uh, return to work. There, there's usually a period. Um, where you can go back to work for, let's say, three or six months. You can try to go back to work. And if for whatever reason, a gradual return, or in this case, if if the you know if the remission uh, of whatever the illness that Dave has here is doesn't doesn't hold and it's not stable for for those, say, three or six months, whatever is outlined in the policy, you can simply continue your existing disability claim. So there's usually a, we'll just call it like a grace period of maybe three to six to nine months, whatever's in your contract, where you can go back to work, try it out. If that doesn't work, you continue with your claim. If you fall outside of that, it would technically be considered a new disability, a new claim. You would reapply. You would go through the process again if you fall outside of that reapplication or, or that, uh, that, that short window. So it's it's very fact specific depending on your situation as well as your insurance contract. But it's always good if you ever have questions like this. Uh, like Savannah's always said, give us a call, uh, send us a copy of your policy, and and if this is something you're going through, uh, it is a pretty technical matter, and and so it's good to get some advice. And, and it's free to talk to us. Um, at least you'll know your rights going into this. And if something you know does go awry with with the return or or with your reapplication, um, we'll at least have a background to jump in and and help you as quickly as we can to hopefully minimize any impact on you so that what do you think pal john if i can yeah i was just going to add something here first of all i think darren's answer was 100 percent correct uh, but i do want to warn people about this he's correct if you fall outside of that recurrence period meaning that if your policy says that you have let's say three months or six months whatever it is to try to go back to work at which point if you're unsuccessful you can go back on ltd if you fall outside of that and you have to apply again for disability you have to be careful because some policies contain pre-existing clauses and so the insurance company may end up denying your claim on the basis of a pre-existing ex- pre-existing exclusion so again whenever you're dealing with a an attempt re- to return to work that has to be done very very carefully even the letters from the doctors confirming that you can try and go back to work should be drafted you know, very carefully. Uh, for example, and I know we're deviating here, but it's, it's on point, I think, to an extent. Uh, if your doctor says in a letter, this person is now ready to go back to work, that's very different than saying this person is now ready to try to go back to work. 
you can see the difference, right? If the person is unable to, to in fact work, in other words, they try, they fail, okay? They're not ready yet, they're still sick. Mm-hmm. An insurance company may very well deny the return to LTD for the person who had a letter from their doctor saying that they are ready to go back to work versus the one who had the letter that says that the person is ready to try to go back to work. Insurance company will nitpick. They will cherry pick specific words that favor them. So you have to be careful. And in fact, we have a a, a website, right, John, that we often talk about, uh, ltdfaq.ca, long-term disability frequently asked questions.ca, where we have these short memos that we've created over the years for the public at large, doesn't have any legal jargon, and it contains information about the most frequently asked questions, including what should be in your doctor's letters, including uh, return to work, uh, employment issues, those kinds of things. So you have to be careful. And again, as Darren said, any questions you have at any given point, either email us or call us or go to My Disability Questions, that website that we have. We get tons and tons of questions on there all the time from people who simply don't want to call us or, or email us for some reason. They just want to post their question and get their answers. And, and you know that avoids you going on Google and Googling the question because oftentimes you'll get false information. You'll get websites from the states or from other provinces where the laws are completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to that My Disability Questions website and post your question, you will get an answer from one of us very, very quickly, and it's going to be accurate. I guarantee it. And with that, we'll get into a short little break and get to more of your emails. Up next, we got uh, Mia. Hi, thanks, Mia. Thank you for, uh, for writing in. We'll get to yours in just a bit. And you can always have yours read by the guys or uh, want it in private. They can do that as well anytime. The email address we use is help at disabilityrights.ca. Follow up with that phone call toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. And for uh, short, concise uh, answers and uh, knowledge about uh, LTD, it's not in legal speak. It's very easy to navigate and digest, ltdfaq.ca, ltdfaq. And we'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. So good to have you along. John Scholes, along with Darren Saul, and of course, Savannah Tamarkin. You can reach out to the fellas anytime, and uh, you can do that by phone call. That's your uh, first line of defense, right? Toll free, one 855 Email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. We're moving now to Mia. Mia writes in, says, guys, I have uh, been sick for several years. At the beginning, I was diagnosed with a vestibular disorder, then depression and anxiety. I applied for LTD with a diagnosis of vestibular disorder, depression, and anxiety. They sent me for a uh, neuropsychology test, which dismissed all my physical symptoms and said it's all mental. They also said depression and anxiety started before the onset of my illness, which is not true. However, I did get approved for the LTD. I started seeing a psychiatrist after that, which also diagnosed me with major depression, anxiety, and somatic symptom disorder. I certainly developed depression dealing with my horrible symptoms for a few years and ended up in the emergency several times. I took several medications he prescribed with so much side effects and no help. 
After that, he realized that I have CFS slash FM, which makes more sense than previous diagnosis in terms of my symptoms. LTD sent the medical reports to CPPD uh, when I applied for CPP disability, and they included that neuropsychology test. CPPD agreed that I have several illnesses, and they just don't like the prognosis my doctor wrote. However, they talked more about the mental health and kind of dismissed the CFS. They also said depression and anxiety started before the onset of my illness. Do I have to clarify that or just leave it since they said I meet the severe criteria? I'm also not sure if it will cause me problems in the future. What do you think? Wow. Uh, so this is very comprehensive. And I think, uh, and by the way, John, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, these are, yeah, right. these are real emails. Uh, you know, from people who are struggling. And clearly Mia is experiencing a lot of issues. Listen, vestibular disorder is a real thing. We're talking about dizziness, uh, off being off balance. It's very, very dangerous. Here's the thing, to break this down, to make it simple. Mia is experiencing a whole slew of symptoms. There have been various diagnoses given. Uh, a lot of, I guess, practitioners are talking about this being psychological in nature. I think we need to separate the, uh, two things here. There is the legal aspect, then there is the health aspect of things for Mia. From a health standpoint, I 100% agree that she needs to drill uh, and get to the bottom of what exactly is ailing her. That's not something I can do or Darren can do. We're not doctors. That's something her doctors can and should do. Perhaps it's going to require more investigations. Perhaps it's going to require more uh, uh, discussions, etc. It's not, not always easy to parse out these kinds of symptoms. And sometimes there's misdiagnoses that happen. I mean, medicine is not perfect. People are not perfect. Doctors are not perfect. But I think she needs to continue with that investigation because that's going to dictate what treatments may end up working for her. On the legal side of things, it doesn't really matter you know, she was approved for long-term disability because the insurance company has agreed that she cannot work. She's disabled because of her symptoms. Uh, CPPD, that's CPP disability. That's the government. That's a federal program that you can apply to if you qualify. Of course, if you've contributed to CPP disability, to CPP, uh, and it is it is a difficult test to meet to get CPP disability. You have to show that you have a disability that is severe and prolonged. That's what she's referring to when she says that uh, they've agreed that I have that I've met a severe criteria. Well, if she's approved for CPP disability, it means she's uh, uh, satisfied the severe criteria and also, uh, you know, the other criteria, which is that it's a very, very uh, a serious and prolonged condition. Now, she's asking, she's not sure if this will cause her problem in the future, you know, all these various issues, depression and all that starting before her illnesses, etc. No, no, there will be no impact here on her long-term disability and CPP disability. She's been essentially confirmed by the insurance company and the government that she's disabled. That means that she's entitled to those benefits from those two sources. It means that if she is at any point cut off or denied benefits on the basis of not being disabled, we can go after the insurance company and even go after the government for CPP disability. We help people with that as well. But the reality is clearly she's experiencing a lot of issues which are disabling her from working. So on the legal side of things, she really doesn't have anything to worry about. She satisfied the tests and all the criteria to get all the benefits that she needs to get. And if at any point she's told by CPP disability or by the long-term disability insurance company that she's not going to get benefits for this reason or that, that's when we get into the picture, analyze it, look at the policy, look at the denial, tell her what her legal options are. 
So on the medical side of things, please, Mia, go ahead and do whatever the doctors are saying. Continue discuss, discussing this with them. Continue trying to figure out what is wrong because clearly you want to get better. And that's going to be dictated by the diagnosis and the recommendations for treatments and whatever treatments you undergo. But on the legal side of things, you're squared away at this point. The insurance company and the government have agreed that you're disabled. If that changes, reach out to us again. You got any uh, comments, uh, Jaron? What do you think, pal? No, I, I think I think you know, like Sylvan was saying, this is a comprehensive question, and it's there's yeah. a lot to unpack. But but he's he's covered it all. He's covered it all. I, I I think I got nothing really to add here that would that would assist. Well, we'll get down to uh, to Barbara. And I'll throw this one at you. It says, guys, I'm currently on LTD and approaching the two year mark. They switched adjusters, who is determined to have me return to work, pushing me to get knee brace and has me doing physio for the second time. Uh, I was a letter carrier for 33 years. I have issues with both knees, hip, and back. Do not feel I am physically capable of doing the job. I previously did the physio they sent me to and attempted a return-to-work program and was unable to make it through. Now going through the same thing a year later and fear the same results as the first time. What can I do? So that's a great question from, from Barbara. The, the first thing I want to address is the two-year mark here. The reason that's important and the reason that her adjusters may have changed, but more why they're pushing her back to work is in most insurance policies, and again, you always have to look at the wording of your insurance policy, the first two years, your disability uh, coverage is, is determined by your inability to do your own occupation. So in this case, it would have been uh, Barbara's inability to be continue to be a letter carrier. After that two years, <clears throat> the coverage and, and the test typically changes to the ability to do any occupation. And so not just in this case, Barbara's ability to be a letter carrier, but to be, um, you know, to work in any other profession where that, where her education skills uh, and, and whatnot can earn her a commensurate type of income. Um, and, and that's likely why they're trying to get her to go back to physio to improve some of the, the you know, issues here to try to say, to try to say that she can go back to work in some way. The fact that she did the program before and and was unable to get through it and was unable to help her, you know, is something I think that should be considered. Um, in a lot of policies, there is a requirement. Um, and again, we have to look at the wording of the policy. There's a requirement to undergo treatment, um, appropriate treatment, although it's as recommended by your doctor. Simply because the insurance company is recommending something to you or requiring something to you, I haven't seen one that that requires them to to send you back to the same program or or something that you've done before. But they can require you to undergo uh, appropriate treatment. They they some policies do have. Um, rehabilitation provisions in there, which the insurance company can put you through like a workplace return rehabilitation process, um, which you would have to to then um, adhere to. Um, so very fact specific, call us if this does come up, send us your policy and, and let's have a chat about it. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate that. I'll give you that number now to reach out and make that second step, which you should do, of course, toll-free. No problem. No worries. It's one 821 5900 We'll continue with that and more of your emails after break. We're going to slide into uh, Helen. Helen, thank you so much. Yours is coming up next right here on the Disability Law Show. Stand by. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. John Scholes, Darren Sauls, Sivan Tamark, and again this week answering all of your questions on the phone line. You can do that uh, anytime. Call through one 821 
5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Now, the email, guys, Helen, I'll throw this one uh, your direction, Savant. She says, I am close to my two-year mark of, off work, and I have been approved for LTD, but my insurer wants me to apply for Canada Disability and split the LTD payments. Uh, should I need to apply? They tell me if I get denied, then they will fight for me. Is this a ploy to deny me later by saying that Canada Disability denied you, so will drop you? Also, should my benefits continue because my insurer says that it's up to my employer? Very, very interesting uh, question, Helen. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, it's not a ploy. And let's begin by understanding why an insurance company is asking you to apply for CPP Disability. Um, And we have a memo on this, by the way, on that website I mentioned earlier, ltdfaq.ca, that answers questions about CPP disability. And when you load that memo, it's free, you'll note that uh, we say, and it's true, that the reason why insurance companies want you to apply for CPP disability is because if you, in fact, get CPP disability, you're not getting that amount of money on top of whatever the LTD insurer is paying you. Their incentive in having you apply and get approved for CPP disability is that they get a credit or a deduction for any amounts you get from CPP disability. So simple example, not that I'm a math person, but I think this works for everyone here. Uh, If you're getting $2,000 a month from your long-term disability insurance company and you apply for CPP disability and you're approved and you get $1,000 from CPPD, you're not getting one plus two you're not getting $3,000. You're still getting $2,000, except that the insurance company now has to pay you only 1000 bucks as opposed to two, because you're, still, you're now getting $1,000 also from CPPD. Uh, and, and that's really the reason why they have that incentive. Now, you mentioned that you're close to your two-year uh, two mark, and then yep. you've been approved for LTD, which I think what she's meaning by that, uh, John, is that she's been approved beyond the two-year mark, which is what Darren spoke about last segment which is a more difficult test to meet. For you to be approved for uh, LTD beyond the two-year uh, two mark, you have to demonstrate with the help of your doctors that you cannot perform the essential tasks of any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. And typically, we look at things like commensurate income. For example, if at the two-year mark, you cannot do the type of job that will pay you at least what your long-term disability insurance company is paying you, chances are you should qualify for LTD beyond the two-year mark. So it's for people who really are unable to do another job that's going to pay them about two-thirds of their pre-disability income. Uh, And for the insurance company here uh, to say that they're going to fight for you, and and I've heard, by the way, of cases where an insurance company hires a third-party company to, to in fact, apply on your behalf and appeal on your behalf these CPP uh, claims, CPP disability claims, To me, that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing for a variety of reasons. Firstly, if they're saying they're going to fight for you to get CPP disability, they're going to have a very tough time down the road denying your long-term disability claim on the basis of not qualifying for long-term disability, of not being disabled. Think about this. Helen, you are asking us, you're saying, is this a ploy to deny me later by saying that Canada Disability denied, so we will drop you? How can that be? How can that be? If they're fighting to have you approved for CPP disability, they have to then tell CPP disability that you are in fact so disabled such that you should be approved for CPP disability. And the criteria for CPP disability is having a disability that's severe and prolonged. So again, the insurance company, even if you're denied CPPD, they can't turn around and say, oh, by the way, we're going to deny you as well because clearly you're not disabled. How can they say that if they fought for you on your behalf 
against CPPD to prove that you are in fact disabled. So, so no, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. I actually think insurance companies are not going to do this in the long term because we as lawyers are going to use that against them down the road. When they end up denying benefits, we're going to turn around and say, but wait a second, you yourself have tried to get CPP disability for this individual. How can you now turn around and say that this person is not disabled? Uh, so no, this is a very good thing. Now you also ask, should my benefits continue because my insurer says that it is up to my employer? No. It is not up to your employer. Once you get approved for long-term disability, it doesn't matter now at this point what happens with your employer as it relates to your um, coverage. And what I mean by this is once you're on LTD, the only way you can stop getting long-term disability benefits is if you reach, uh, if, if, if you reach the, the age limit. Typically, it's 65, although some policies go beyond. Uh, if you're no longer disabled, right? Your benefits will stop. Or if you are in non-compliance with the policy, for example, you're not getting the treatments that you're supposed to be getting. Those are the only ways that you can stop getting long-term disability benefits. Uh, the way that there can be an impact from your employer is if your employer lets you go illegally and now they have to pay you severance and what other types of damages, then there is an overlap here. We can talk about that later where the insurance company can get a deduction for any severance you may be entitled to, but I'm not going to get into that. My point is if you start getting LTD, and in this case, Helen, you've been on LTD for about two years, it doesn't matter what your employer says at this point. There is no way for your employer to somehow impact whether or not you should be getting long-term disability, period. And again, if you have any more questions specific to your case, we can talk after the show and I can explain everything. Again, John, for all our listeners, this information is free. These consultations are free. We want to make sure that people have the information they need to make intelligent decisions uh, and, and you know decisions about their own lives and their own cases so that they understand how to take on these insurance companies or at least get the help that they need. Darren, you got any last minute comment about that one? Yeah, actually, I dealt with this recently just because of the fact that I do the LTD and the employment here. I had someone contact me for an L uh, a long-term disability consult, and they had this actual exact same question about the employer. And, and what I always tell them on the employment side is check your employment contract. If you've got an employment contract, get a copy of that and, and take a look at it. In, in this person, the person I talked to, in, in their case, they had a contractual right to to benefits. And in, in, in this case, I'm, what I'm talking about is extended health benefits. So I'm not sure if that's what maybe Helen is, is, is alluding to here at all, but extended health benefits are coverage for physio, massage, medications, and stuff like that. They had a contractual right through their employment for that. And if their employer tries to take that away, it may ground an action against your employer as well as your, you know, in, in addition to the LTD claim you have going, like Savannah was saying, there's there's all kinds of offsets, but, but you know, give us a call if that's the case. I've had employers in the past who have pulled extended health coverage when someone is on a long-term disability claim for too long. If there's a case where you're not owed those benefits any longer, those extended benefits, there is sometimes a way to, to contact the employer and to, or, or the insurer and get those extended health benefits turned to a private policy because as you know when people are disabled you know and you're only getting a limited income things like physio coverage medication coverage become exponentially more important um, and so it's something to definitely keep an eye on so if you have an employment contract get a copy of that contact us you know we'll be more than happy to talk to you about that and, and how we can support you with your ltd with that 
And that is a wrap. You want to move on with the conversation now to Darren or Sivan, you can do so. Here's that number one more time, toll-free, obviously, 1-855-821-5900. Email we've been using is help at disabilityrights.ca. Firm website is just disabilityrights.ca. And another another form that's free and anonymous for you to ask questions, type them into your phone or your desktop or your laptop, whatever. It's called mydisabilityquestions.com. And we will catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.